to Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What, the podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. I'm Diana. And I'm David. And today we are watching 2005's Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. A murder mystery brings together a private eye, a struggling actress, and a thief masquerading as an actor. All good things. All good things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we're continuing with our action-packed summer. And we have a guest. Who is our guest today? Our guest is the incomparable, amazing... Lindsay Nelson of Historical Hotties. Hello. Hey. <laughs> Hello. Excited to be potting with you guys again. Oh, we love potting. We've we've po- pony potted with you before, but mm-hmm. we've never movie potted with you before. I nope. know. So this is fun. We get to be adult. No silly voices from us today. No. <laughs> uh, and when we put our call out for like, hey, we're going to do like this list of movies. You were very adamant about this one. Yes. You're very excited. <laughs> I I do have lots of thoughts and feelings about this movie. So okay, so like, what 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 has been your experience with this film? Um, I mean, I saw it for the first time like a year after it came out, and it was before the real like Robert Downey Jr. Renaissance, you know. Yeah. But I I thought it was such an interesting movie because I both really like it and can't stand it at the same time. <laughs> interesting. Yeah. I, I, yeah i, I feel that vibe i am not uh i feel somewhat similar i think okay. yeah i mean i think the performances are great i like the whole i mean it's deadpool before deadpool basically with all of the fourth wall breaking you know yes. jokes about being the narrator talking to the camera stuff uh-huh i love the bit at the end where he's like taking i know i hate this phony bit and like all of these characters come back in and it's not just People who've died in this movie, but like Elvis and Abraham Lincoln and stuff. Like, I really like that part. I think Val Kilmer is amazing in this movie. Yep. But this movie also has some really terrible gender politics. So. Oh, yeah. And some like we're really playing jump rope with the homophobia. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Like it's not it didn't feel super blatant, but it's like it's there. It's there. This was in an era where, like, homophobic jokes were much more common and acceptable. And I actually think it's kind of radical the way that they have Val Kilmer's character as, like, a gay person in this movie mm-hmm. and kind of fighting back against all of that stuff. But, yeah, it definitely Absolutely. has not, you know, you look at it now and there's lots of stuff that would not be considered acceptable today. No, no. And it's only 2005, yeah. 15 years ago. Yeah. We've aged so much. We have. It's, it's one of those movies, it is such a product of its time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like super a product of its time. Yeah. And the thing I kept coming away with this movie was like, it is definitely trying to skew something different. And it's, it's sort of a template for a bunch of movies that came after it, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. even though it itself is also building upon what had already been done in a lot of action comedy movies. Right. Well, and even on the tradition of LA noir, like it's clearly playing on the, you know, Raymond Chandler, you know, L.A. Noir in film tradition. So, I mean, even being that it's in L.A. Well, it's it's definitely trying to be like, OK, well, let's do a noir film, but let's update it and make it funny yeah. mm-hmm. and and have more of the action and make that more interesting. And so in a lot of ways, I feel like it's it's not so much that it's necessarily bad as uneven. Mm, yeah okay so our writer and our director are the same person and so i feel like that's where we kind of have an issue because i feel i really like the direction 
But I feel like our problem is with our script. Hmm. Mm. I feel like our script didn't know what it was trying to accomplish. It meanders a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I feel like it's it's trying to do, like, one too many things. Yeah. And I do agree with you that that can often be a problem with written and directed by the same person movies when you have nobody mm-hmm. to really help you edit. Because it can be really hard to have an objective perspective on your own story. Absolutely. So the budget for this film was about $15 million. Not not bad. It's it's a really small film. So yeah. $15 million is not a bad budget. It's cumulative worldwide gross. $15.7 million. Hey, it broke even. Uh, it made more money overseas than it did in the U.S. It never made it beyond 169 screens in the United States. Uh-huh. Yeah, this movie, this movie got most of its shelf life, like, I feel, two or three years later. I remember stalking this movie when I worked at the bookstore. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, this is that movie I wanted to see. This was one of those movies that I remember the trailer for, and it was like, well, this looks kind of fun. Uh, I, maybe I should go see that. And then never did. Well, and then this was one of those ones where it was like, oh, yeah, Robert Downey Jr., I love him from Heart and Souls that like that movie oh my gosh with me you another person who has seen heart and souls whitney and i were starting to think that we had made that movie up because we couldn't find <laughs> anybody else who had seen it oh i saw it when i was like in fifth or sixth grade us too and I, I fell in freaking love with him in that movie was marissa tomei in that i can't remember whoever his love interest yeah i, I think... thought she was precious yeah uh david's gonna look it up because we have the power of the internet uh, heart and souls i remember the ghost better than i remember his love interest so i'm not sure if it's marissa Tomei. the ghosts are so good the ghosts are just precious and that i remember writing in my like yearbook superlatives that that was my favorite movie at the time <laughs> i just like yeah no i loved it loved that movie but i remember him just being like completely off the radar because he had been having so much personal drama and then mm-hmm. val kilmer i remember really liking him in the saint and being like oh yes this could be cool <laughs> but i don't know because i also don't like him because he ruined batman so, <laughs> so that's where i was at with this movie i take issue with that he did not ruin batman I at did, all i did not like his batman mm. uh by the way i believe you're looking for either kira sedgwick or elizabeth shoe elizabeth shoe yeah elizabeth shoe kira sedgwick was one of the ghosts yes i remember that distinctly yeah. uh yeah. It would have been Elizabeth Shue because she was in everything. Because <laughs> she's phenomenal. So our writers, this movie is adapted from a novel. The novel was written by Brett Halliday. And he's had a couple other small things adapted. Nothing super big of note. But our screenplay was written by Shane Black, who has done a lot Yep. before he wrote this. You would know his works of Lethal Weapon. The Monster Squad, Lethal Weapon 2, The Last Boy Scout, he wrote Last Action Hero, The Long Kiss Goodnight, and then after this, he wrote Iron Man 3, The Nice Guys, and then he just did the most recent Predator, and uh, the movie called Doc Savage was just announced that he's going to be writing. Hmm. So, goofs and action are his thing. Yeah, there's a real mix of um, some very good movies in there and some, you know, less good movies in there. (laughs) So I'm firmly in the I like Iron Man 3 camp. Yeah, we kind of are. Oh, I like Iron Man 3. Okay, great. Yay. As somebody who has had PTSD, I really like that they address the fact that 
these people would be getting a lot of PTSD by the time they've saved the world the third or fourth time. Especially Tony. Especially Tony. Right. He's one of the most human of them, so... So we're looking at his his credits. It's mostly it's mostly just action silliness. So but mm-hmm. this film is noir. It's a detective movie, and I think this movie, being also the first one he directed, being such a different tone writing, is what screws up this film. What? So it's interesting. I feel like if I recall, this movie was one of the like longest on the blacklist scripts. Like it was forever yeah. this. Mm-hmm. well-known script that Shane Black had written that he tried to get made everywhere and nobody wanted to make it. And like, finally it went into production and everybody knew it was a big deal because Shane Black was known as the action guy. Cause I think he's had a ton of uncredited stuff. Well, and I mean, just at that time, just the lethal weapons alone would get you uh, like the action guy title. Cause I was never a big fan of them, but they were a very big deal when they came out. Oh, sure. He created Murtaugh and Riggs, and that was, Mm -hmm. you know, after that, that that was the ultimate buddy cop. Yeah, that is our modern day pull when a buddy cop film, Lethal Weapon. Pretty much. That's the first one you're going to think of. Mm -hmm. I feel like within certain circles, this movie had such buzz. And then it, it didn't do very well, clearly, but it got such buzz after the fact. So I don't want to I don't want to discount maybe hype being a factor on this for us and that we mm-hmm. were expecting something way different. Eh, maybe hype a little bit, but I feel like the thing that I knew going into this is like this is the film that gave Downey Iron Man. Like that this is the movie that got him Iron Man. And to be fair, he's great in it. He is great. All the three of the leads really nail their performances in this, yeah. The dialogue is fantastic. The story is lacking. The story is lacking. It's slight, It's over complex. They're trying to do one too many things. And then you have someone who's trying to direct. And so that's where I'm a little meh about it. Apparently Shane Black was suffering from writer's block. And it took him a year and a half to write the script for this film. And he had, he actually had trouble selling it. And so his, like, and he, he couldn't get it sold. Like, even though he was one of the highest paid screenwriters at the time, he couldn't sell this. So he ended up going to Joel Silver, who was who gave him his break on Lethal Weapon. And that's how he got it made. Because it was just I, I think it's because it's just so different from everything he had done. It is very tonally different. And it's hard to sell because it's very like you're going to have an R rating for sure because Absolutely. of all of the like maybe even I don't know, is this an NC-17? Because in every marker of shooting a lot of people nudity sure. cursing a lot you know and, and a prominent gay character prominent gay character that they make a lot of joke that like they are not hiding in any way shape or form uh, mm-hmm. yeah those are going to be things that keep tallying up the the rating well and the tone of it being yeah like a noir but the silliness and this is before stuff like the constant breaking the fourth wall fourth and wall. stuff was common i mean mm-hmm. people have broken the fourth wall since shakespeare but that this kind of meta commenting on the movie you're in while you're in it thing was not nearly as like accepted of a mechanism as it is now it's almost like he's trying to employ french new wave stuff in the middle of a very conventional noir drama uh-huh. mm-hmm. and it's weird yeah because it, he he is trying to break a bunch of rules while also still making you think it's a normal movie. Yeah. And I it's it's almost like, well, do one or the other, my man. Like 
We were just trying to do too many things. And I think if he was just the writer on this, he could have spent all of his time polishing that part. Yep. And then if he wasn't directing it, somebody else could have been helping him polish the parts that weren't great in the script with the directing. Uh, So yes, Shane Black is also our director. This is his directorial debut. Yes. This is the first thing he ever directed. After this, he went on to direct Iron Man 3, The Nice Guys, Predator, and then he will also be directing Doc Savage. That was just announced. So yeah, he has not directed very much. It's not not his talent. (laughs) Well, okay, the direction isn't bad. No, it's competent. I mean, I don't know. The performances are all really great, and that's definitely partly the direction. I mean, the the casting is good, but you still have to, like, steer the performance into it, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. He he didn't screw it up, but he didn't make it better. There's nothing I see (laughs) in this movie that makes me think, oh, wow, you threw a whole bunch of interesting stuff at this. No, but it's it's lacking. It's just lacking. Well, there there is lots of weird tonal shifts in it. Like, um, the empathy that robert downey jr's character is supposed to have where all of the death and everything affects him more than all of these Mm -hmm. other jaded hollywood people you know like the whole scene when he's hiding under the bed of the accomplice woman being shot and then like they make eye contact as she's dying and that's like a very intense scene and then it's immediately followed up by the dog stealing his finger and you're like this is like a weird (laughs) shift yeah Yeah, when one of the kidnappers, one of them, anyhow. I shot him and he's dead. You fucker. Jesus, Harry, wipe the place clean and get out of there. And I can't, I want to, but I can't. So do it. Because my fingerprints here, the dog's fucking dog's got it. Harry, no one's gonna dust the fucking dog. No, he's got the finger. Asshole, he's got the finger with the print part. Get the finger, kill the dog, get out of there. Hang on. Shit. Oh, I think, uh, I think we're safe. This guy just murdered somebody for the first time after staring into a woman's eyes while she died. And then, like, you're having this slapsticky dog eating his severed finger thing. Like, it's just, yeah. there. It doesn't flow in and out of those moments gracefully. It and it and I, I like your bringing up Deadpool because Deadpool does that, but it does it for comedic effect. And here, mm-hmm. it's trying to do that, but it's not landing because the beats are off. Yeah, and I even buy the dramatic moments in a Deadpool movie more than I necessarily buy all of the dramatic ones in this one. Agreed. Because of its modest budget, Warner Brothers granted Joel Silver the distinction of overseeing the film personally, allowing Shane Black to only have to answer to him instead of numerous studio heads. Well, hmm. Which is a gift. Yeah. (laughs) That's Mm -hmm. a huge gift. Yep. And as a thank you for putting him back on the A-list with this film, Robert Downey Jr. pushed for Shane Black to be involved in the Marvel franchise and leading to him eventually writing and directing Iron Man 3. Fair. Yeah, that worked out good. Yeah. All right. Our cast. Ooh. We start with Robert Downey Jr. as Harry Lockhart. And we have not talked about him on this show before. Nope. Not officially. Really? No, we haven't. And he has an obscene amount of credit, so I'm going to hit the big ones. His First big film credit is Girls Just Want to Have Fun. He was an SNL cast member from 85 to 86. Yep. He was? Yep. I had no idea. That was the not Lauren Michaels year when they brought in a bunch of, like, Anthony Michael Hall was on. uh, Julia Dreyfus was on SNL. Yeah. It was weird. It was a weird year. (laughs) He was in Less Than Zero, Johnny Be Good, Chances Are, Air America, Soap Dish, Chaplin, Heart and Souls, 
Shortcuts, Hail Caesar in 94. Natural Born Killers, Only You, Richard III, Home for the Holidays, Bowfinger, Wonder Boys, Allie McBeal, the TV series, The Singing Detective, and Gothica. After this, he was in The Shaggy Dog, A Scanner Darkly, Fur, an imaginary portrait of Dion Arbus, Zodiac, then Iron Man in 2008, and then I did not list them all out, but all subsequent <laughs> Marvel Iron Man films because he makes a cameo. All of them all, forever. He was in 20 more Marvel films. The end. And then he was in Tropic Thunder, The Soloist, Sherlock Holmes 1 and 2, Due Date, Chef, Doolittle in 2020. And then upcoming, he's got a film, All-Star Weekend and Sherlock Holmes 3. Man, this guy's had a career. Yeah. Yeah. He considers this his favorite movie of his own. Hmm. I don't know. He's got a he's got a Clooney vibe and burn after reading in this movie. Mm-hmm. In that he is all over the place. Yeah. And thinking everything <laughs> yeah. is way more serious than it might possibly be. Mm-hmm. But uh, any unevenness from his performance comes in those tonal shifts in the script. Yes. It comes because those beats feel awkward and forced. And so he's having to bounce back and forth on that. I don't know also if that's partly editing where they're making cuts at weird moments that tonally didn't take right. Hmm. But he's doing a fantastic job, at least at trying to be this random thief who gets pulled into Hollywood and is like, uh, I'll go with it, I guess. (laughs) I believe him in every scene he's in. Absolutely. He feels very genuine and like the same person, even when the film takes weird tonal shifts. And he manages to bring a lot of charisma to somebody who, like, I know I would hate this this guy that he plays. <laughs> and I could easily see hating a lot of people playing him. But he does manage to bring charisma to a guy that would drive me absolutely nuts in real life. He is a terrible person. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's- well, and he's the epitome of the nice guys finish last guys who don't understand why girls don't like them. And it's because they're not actually nice guys. They just think they are. Yeah. He, he says some shit to Harmony that is just like borderline. Yeah. Like he does some good shit and that he, you know, he does, you know, try to prevent some date rape and some of that nonsense. But then he th- lectures her after. Yeah, then yeah, then he kind of slut shames some girls and it's just like, you know, you did a good and then you leaned right into a bad. He slut shames everybody all the time in this movie while also being constantly personally obsessed with sex. And it's like, you know, that is another thing about this movie. Not only is the homophobia pretty heavy, but I definitely think they play around with child sexual abuse in a way that, you know, does not give it like any gravity. And yeah. I think that's the storyline that we needed to completely drop. I mean, let's get rid of the rape and the the slut shaming and the homophobia. Sure, because we should get rid of those in most films anyways. But I think we should have dropped the flashback because those connections don't make sense and they don't add anything, really. Harmonies is the only one where her obsession with these books has a point later on. Everybody else, who cares? Everything else, it's pointless. Yeah, the whole fact that you could have gotten her invested in some way other than it being her dead sister, and you could have gotten him invested in her in some way other than it being like a unfulfilled high school crush. That I'm with you that that whole they knew each other as kids sister subplot was the yeah the weakest part of the story. Although it is very noir, the whole sure. Especially when he said the whole part about like that the sister shows up and that he actually when they thought he actually used her as his fake daughter 
instead of, but when it turned out at the end that he hadn't used her as his fake daughter, that made it really superfluous, that whole plot. <laughs> it was, yeah. They, it was like they bent over backwards to make this a gratuitous story about a girl being sexually abused and her older sister coming to reckon with it. Yeah. It's just for no reason. Yeah. There's no There's no higher purpose in telling that. I mean, I think this is one of the ones where you're seeing the views of the author reflected in the work because that Ooh. whole scene that he has where he flips out on her in the club for like, why are all the crazy women in LA? Uh, you take any guy who slept with a hundred women in a year and he's pretty a pretty normal dude, and then you take a any woman that slept with a hundred guys this year and she's gotta be all damaged and whatever. And it was just like that whole rant was, ugh. and I think is where we're getting the voice of the author in the way that that's why he included all of that stuff. And it's really off-putting to me. I There were hints and where I, I try to give a little credit in that she goes right after him the second he says that to her. And like at every moment, she is like, fuck off, get away from me. And so I wonder if he's like, misguidedly trying to make a statement on that about how terrible he sounds and looks saying that but it never plays that way yeah i could see what you're saying with that if because she always does stand firmly in her like you have no right to judge me i get to make my own choices yeah you know mm -hmm. position but the whole scene with the spider and her breast when he's knocked out and her doing the whole like well you know i can if it makes you get to, I could jerk you off at her him going like, no, I don't want those scenes just reinforce the idea to me that he has that like sexual women are damaged women. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's just gross. It's just gross. <laughs> it's just gross. We don't need to justify it. It's icky. Yep. Needs a rewrite. We do have two who could have been better. Ooh. Johnny Knoxville <laughs> or Benicio del Toro wildly different actors mm-hmm if you're gonna call johnny knoxville an actor <laughs> he was trying this is the lane he could play in it's very specific and he he can do that here's the thing i think he could have leaned into the dirt bag really well mm -hmm. in a way where what we just talked about the sort of like it's icky knoxville has that quality where it would feel like satire if he was doing it a little bit Especially if he has the right coaching behind him. Mm -hmm. I can see that. I wouldn't have had the heart of gold aspect of that character that, you know, that they set, kept to... trying to emphasize yeah. and that Downey is definitely able to play. Yeah. It would have been a pure satire at that point. Sure. If you're going to have Johnny Knoxville be in that role. He was actually set to star before being replaced by Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next, we have Val Kilmer as Gay Perry. Uh, oh, so... Good. Again, another guy who's been around forever has an obscene amount of credits, and we've never talked about him. Nope. Uh, so before this, he was in Real Genius, Top Gun, Willow, The Doors, True Romance, The Real McCoy, Tombstone, Wings of Courage, Batman Forever, Heat, The Island of Dr. Moreau, Dead Girl, The Ghost in the Darkness, The Saint, The Prince of Egypt, At First Sight, Pollock, Red Planet, Hard Cash, Mast and Anonymous, Wonderland, Spartan, Mindhunters, Alexander. After this, he was in Tenth and Wolf, played Moscow Zero, Summer Love, Deja Vu, The Ten Commandments, The Musical, Conspiracy, Columbus Day, Felon, 222, The Steam Experiment, Knight Rider, the television series. He was the voice of the car, Kit. In the new version. In the, the new TV series. Mm -hmm. uh, then he did a stream of crap I have never seen. I don't mm -hmm. understand. I don't, I'm like, what is this stuff? Did the Mark Twain show. Yeah. He was in MacGruber. 
<laughs> Kill the Irishman, Five Days of War, Twix, Deep in the Heart, Seven Below, Breathless, Riddle, Standing Up, Palo Alto, some TV spots, Song to Song, The Snowman, The Super, Firstborn, that yeah, the Mark Twain film, Jay and Silent Bob reboot, A Soldier's Revenge, and then he's in post-production on a couple things, including Top Gun Maverick. I'm so fucking stoked for that movie. I know it's going to be bad, but I'm so excited. If there's not a 12-minute homoerotic volleyball scene, <laughs> what are they even doing? They've missed the whole point of doing yeah. a sequel. If there's just not, like, dudes shirtless whenever appropriate, and then a couple times when not, they've wasted... When not appropriate? Yeah. Like, they've wasted the whole movie. So how do we feel about Val Kilmer as Gay Perry? Fucking great. He's amazing. He's so good. Go. Sleep badly. Any questions, hesitate to call. Bad. Excuse me? Sleep bad. Because otherwise it makes it seem like the mechanism that allows you to sleep. What? Fuckhead badly's an adverb. Who taught you grammar? Get out. Vanish. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll give you a buzz. Die. Like I said, I think kind of a radical role in a time when it was... Uh, Still kind of considered career suicide to play a gay character for like a, you know, straight man. And that all the homophobic jokes, which were much more acceptable at the time, are pushed back on so strongly by him being like the most, you know, assertive, competent character in the movie. The only competent character well, he's, in the he's, movie. Yeah. He's the only competent person. Him being gay is completely incidental. Like. Everybody else has to talk about it, but for him, it's not even an it's not a thing. It's just like, oh, you want to know why I like dudes? Because I do. The end. I'm gonna get back to my job. <laughs> like he, de- mm-hmm. like it's just not even on his radar as something worthy of conversation, which I like. Yeah, and he repeatedly uses people's homophobia to his advantage. So absolutely, yep. which you know, like good for you. <laughs> His depiction of Gay Perry is generally considered to be the first openly gay character in front of a Hollywood action movie. Nice. Which is pretty cool. Uh, just, yeah. that, just that moment when he runs out and he's got the gun. Where did you get that gun? Oh, this? It's got to keep in my pants and pretend it looks like my penis. He's so muck. He's just matter of fact about fucking everything. Val Kilmer met Robert Downey Jr. for the first time at a Hollywood party. A week later, he received the screenplay for this film and agreed to do it before he'd even finished reading it upon agreeing. Much to his delight, he was informed that Downey had already been cast. Yay! Well, they definitely have very good chemistry in oh, this movie. Sure. Oh, sure. Yeah. You can tell that they're having a lot of fun together. People forget that Val Kilmer is really fucking good at comedy. But that's mm-hmm. what he started in. Yeah. He's had one of those careers where he started so young and he was funny, but also attractive. And then as he got older, he got more attractive. So then they made him the hot dude. Yeah. And then it became like trying him trying to balance the hot heartthrob roles versus like wanting to do artistic stuff. Yeah. And yeah. And this is one where he kind of got to just be like the hot, funny action guy mm-hmm. who also happens to be gay, <laughs> which is pretty cool. As a show of support for Robert Downey's recovery from alcohol and drugs, Val Kilmer refused to drink during the entire production. Oh, that's very sweet. That's good. I love that. That's very sweet. Uh, he had to quickly lose 50 pounds gained for his role in Alexander in order to play his fit GQ character in this film. That sucks. And any type of rapid weight gain or loss just sucks. 
Yeah. And he but he does look very like trim and put together in this. Yeah, he looks like he, the most stylish character in it. Remembering all the discourse about like seeing him later on uh-huh. and, and recently and just thinking like, you know, maybe he was just happy to be like, I don't fucking care anymore. I'm like, Belle Kilmer. You'll give me the role if you want to give me the role. Like I've <laughs> I've done my dues and I'm older and he's been dealing with some health issues like I don't need to keep up appearances that I'm 40 because I'm not. Like, I'll bulk up Mm -hmm. if I need to bulk up. But otherwise, why do you fucking care? (laughs) I think everyone should have that attitude. I'm like, you know what? Good for you, Val Kilmer. We do have some who could have been betters. More who could have been better. Some more who could have been betters. Hugh Grant or Harrison Ford? For Val Kilmer's role? Yeah. Yes. No. (laughs) I mean, I don't think either of them would have done it as well. I could see who Grant more. I do not see Harrison Ford pulling that off at all. <laughs> so early in production, Warner Brothers considered Hugh Grant with Benicio del Toro. That would have been, been such a different movie. It would have been so bizarre. What a wild pair. And then they were willing to produce the movie with a larger budget if Harrison Ford played the detective. But when he passed, they moved on to Val Kilmer. They made the right call. Yeah. Harrison Ford would have been horrible in this role. Yeah. Harrison Ford would have been horrible in this role. I'm even a fan of, I mean, Indiana Jones are some of my favorite movies of all time. Sure. But he would not have been good for this part. No. I, I love Harrison Ford. He would have been so bad at the nuance of this character. Mm-hmm. Like, smartass, give me Harrison Ford. I will take a smartass character by Harrison Ford any fucking day. But the nuance of this guy being the detective, trying to train this guy who's being an actor, while also playing a gay action dude in a movie, not, that's not Harrison mm-hmm. Ford. Uh-uh, no. Nope. Nope. Well, no, and the you. balance that Val Kimmer strikes of being funny, exactly. of being of being comfortable in his sexuality, but still like holding a little bit of menace, like not letting it cut into the humor, but still having a little bit of menace and and being the like competent, ruthless one of the main characters and stuff. I do not think Harrison Ford could have pulled off that balance like that. No, no. Val Kilmer every day. (laughs) Next, we move on to Michelle Moynihan as Harmony Faith Lane. Before this, she was in The Young Americans on TV, Perfume, Unfaithful, Boston Public on television. It runs in the family, Winter Solstice, and the Born Supremacy. After this, she was in Mr. Mrs. Smith, North Country, Mission Impossible 2, Gone Baby Gone, The Heartbreak Kid, Maid of Honor, Trucker, Eagle Eye, Somewhere, Due Date, Source Code, Machine Gun Preacher, Tomorrow You're Gone, Expecting, Blindsided, True Detective Season 1, Better Living Through Chemistry, Fort Bliss, Playing It Cool, The Best of Me, Patriot's Day, Sleepless, The Path on Television, Mission Impossible Fallout, St. Judy, and she was recently on Messiah the television series and she will be in the upcoming reboot of the craft oh really mm-hmm. i did not know that okay who does she play the craft i wonder i'm not sure i i believe she's a parent so how do we feel about michelle Moynihan? i mean i think she did a really good job it's a hard character to play i think it's the more thankless of the three roles like she doesn't get to have as much fun partially because she's driving the impetus of the action like she's the one who's trying to You know, it's her sister. It's her coming to them for help. She's the one who has to propel the script forward, which usually is more of a thankless job. And walking the balance here with the weird gender politics in this movie Mm -hmm. of, you know, I think she she pulled it off very well. Yeah, she doesn't get to be funny like the other two get to. She has to either be in distress 
or be sexual. Mm-hmm. Like or that. incompetent. Because there's a few times where they just make her like bumbling for no reason. But usually that's because she's in distress. Yeah. Or being overly yeah. sexualized. So like that's not really her fault. But it does feel inconsistent because sure. at other times she's very competent. Like when she's walking out and she notices the cops being sent up to his room and she, without any hesitation or thinking, like sends them to a different floor. And then like sometimes she's very on top of things and other times she's completely not. And it doesn't seem to be super consistent except yeah. for what the story needs. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a thinly written character. Yeah. That she's just having to jump all over the place to sort of fit whatever's whatever's needed and then it comes off as like what what who is this? <laughs> Cuz I kept waiting based on that inconsistency mm-hmm. for somehow us to have a third act turn and her be the villain. Yeah. Based on all of that, I kept waiting for that to come around. And then it never did. Or it to have been like their dad or step guy, like whoever I don't know. the bad dude was. Like, yeah, it just, or but her the, sister's the bad guy. But the way she kept being flaky, mm-hmm. it, it kept suggesting like, you're hiding something. And I was mm-hmm. like, no, she never was. It's just the character's written poorly. Yeah. Next we have Corbin Burnson as Harlan Dexter's. All right. This dude has a lot of credits. His bread and butter his entire career has been TV movies <laughs> and then long runs on some really big television series. So I'm going to go with the big hits because I don't know what half of these TV movies are. He started working in 1967. His first big movie was Major League in 1989. Hell yeah. And, you know, then, of course, he did Major League 2. Then he was on L.A. Law as a series regular. He played Arnie Becker. So, like, that was a big deal. Then he was on a whole new ball game, the TV series. More TV movies, more little TV series. He was on Jag. He was in a movie called Death in Texas, The Quiet Kill. Then he did this film. After this, he did a ton more TV movies. He started on his series run of Psych. He was a series regular on that television show. He was on General Hospital. He was on Cuts. He was on The Young and the Restless. Then, more recently, he was on the Punisher TV series, and he was also on The Resident. So this guy lives on television. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why he is perfect casting. Sure. (laughs) Sure. But I'm just like, I know he's one of those guys who you know his face. I have no idea who he is. And I never, I like, I remember my parents watching LA Law, and it was always one of those, y'all have to go to bed now. Mommy and daddy show's on. (laughs) Totally fine. And then I, I've never watched Psych, which I want to, because I know it's a, a great show. So I'm just not familiar with his TV, TV work. How do we feel about him? He's fine. He's not in the movie enough to care. I mean, what he's there for is done very competently. <laughs> yeah, he's just our big dude. And he's he is there specifically to be Corbin Burnson. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not his character's name. He's not playing in his actual self. But clearly, that is what they were going for. They're like, who's the most recognizable TV actor we could come up with? <laughs> Corbin Burns. <Yep. laughs> All right. Well, uh, now we just get into our pawns, random people of note, mm-hmm. because there are a lot of people in this movie, but they're not in the movie for very long. So we just have a handful of people who you would recognize from other things. We've got Larry Miller as Dabney Shaw. We've got Shannon Sossaman as the pink hair girl. We've got Indio Falconer Downey as Harry Lockhart at age nine. That is Robert Downey Jr.'s son. Yep. If it's not obvious based on those that guy's eyes and nose, 
That's his son. <laughs> and then we've got Ariel Winter as Harmony Faith Lane. And then as the voice of the bear in the beer commercial, we have Lawrence Fishburne, <laughs> a.k.a. Cowboy Curtis. <laughs> I will never not call him Cowboy Curtis whenever we talk about Lawrence Fishburne. We will also always call him Larry. Right, we always have to call him Larry, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's our cast. They're pretty, you know, small, yeah. but heavy hitters. <laughs> so now we get into trivia. Trivia. There's not a ton of trivia here. The film got a standing ovation at the Cannes Film Festival. So they loved it. Or they loved Downey. And, uh, and <laughs> Kilmer. Yeah. They were great. Joel Silver noted that the film was originally budgeted at $10 million because Warner Brothers was not confident in the premise. The film ran over and the final budget was $15 million. Warner Brothers loved the film when it was screened, immediately opened it at the 2005 Cannes Film International Festival with the high profile capacity. So they like packed it. Huh. And that's how it got the, the recognition there. One scene in the film takes place in a club exhibiting living art, which Robert Downey Jr. once worked as. <laughs> Which was very fun. I can imagine him doing that. I love this one. So this is a writer's trademark with Shane Black. It's the disarmed gunman. While being held at gunpoint, Gabe Perry demonstrates how easy it is to disarm a non-professional gunman as most of them fail to keep a minimum distance of five feet from their targets. Perry, I was thinking some more about this reality versus fiction. Oh, is that a fact? Yeah, like in the movies when... Uh, Guy comes up and sticks a gun in some schmuck's back and says, uh, let's take a walk. All of a sudden, he's got a hostage. Oh, yeah, yeah I've seen that. Before. Well, in reality, the pros like about five feet of separation. Five feet, huh? Yeah. Huh? That's so the schmuck doesn't take the gun back and make ah! him eat it. Shane Black often writes scenes where the hero is able to disarm a gunman who makes this mistake, most notably in The Last Boy Scout, The Long Kiss, Goodnight. And he also does it, though it's not made they don't make a whole lot show of it they do it in last action hero too yep because when it happened i'm like that's this thing that's the thing he does (laughs) yes but of course because of this movie being very meta he has to talk about it while he does it which makes total like this is where you would talk about it right because of the whole thing that they know each other because he's supposed to be giving him detective lessons Mm Okay, so now we got a couple different pieces about the title. The film was originally titled L.A.P.I., but then Bang. But Val Kilmer was the one who suggested Kiss Kiss Bang Bang would have more appeal. 100% correct. Yes. Absolutely true. And better fits the tone of the movie. Yes. But this title also shares its title with the song from the soundtrack of the James Bond movie, Thunderball. What?! Mr. Mm-hmm. Kiss yeah. Kiss Bang Bang was recorded first by Shirley Bassey That's and then right. by Dionne Warwick after composer John Barry had chosen the title when he read a magazine article which mentioned that was how Bond was known in Italy. He was known as Mr. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Uh, how could you have forgotten this, David? We covered all of the 24 Bond films. Yes. 26 with the two non-canon films. The opening party that takes place at Harlan Dexter's mansion was shot at Shane Black's mansion in the years between Black's last produced feature, The Long Kiss Goodnight, and this one. Black had become infamous for throwing very similar large extravagant parties at the mansion filled with the same kind of people. (laughs) (laughs) This is like that party is just a regular night at Shane's house. 
Oh no. Did he just do this so he could like have all his Hollywood friends in a movie together? Well, I don't see a whole lot of his Hollywood friends in this movie. Fair. Like re- like truly. He hired up for sure. Because we don't like otherwise, <laughs> why isn't Mel Gibson and Danny Glover in this film? Because oh, at this point he had worked with them so much. Yeah. Ooh, or Schwarzenegger. Wow. Like, why weren't any of the people in his other big films before this in this movie? Because he was writing for studios, not for Fair, but himself. Yeah, fair, but like that would have made sense. Eh. But also small, tiny, tiny budget. Uh, according to the DVD commentary track, Robert Jenny Jr. had one of Shane Black's assistants crouching off camera, jabbing him in the kidneys during the torture scene. <laughs> uh, Downey can get a little uh, method from time to time. Uh, if he really wanted to commit, he would have had himself electrocuted then. <laughs> Although the film leads us to believe that the characters played by Downey and Moynihan grew up together, there is an 11-year age difference between them. Ooh, yeah. So, like, yeah. again... That's inconsistent, so they needed to lose that whole plot. Yeah, that plot was the weakest point. I totally agree with you, but this totally fits into uh, what Hollywood has gotten a tiny bit better on, but was really terrible oh. in the like right around the 2000s of people with like a 20 to 30 year age difference playing romantic interest with the man, of course, sure. always being older. Like, it doesn't matter if the dude is 70, the woman can't be over 35. The actress can't be over 35. Yeah. Emma Thompson, uh, her version of Sense and Sensibility, mm -hmm. where she plays opposite Hugh Grant. And she kept getting all this feedback from people about why would he want somebody so much older than him or whatever. And she's like, I am one month younger than him. We are the exact exactly. same age. Yeah. And it's such just the crazy Hollywood distortion that if it's not somebody who doesn't look 10 years younger than you, then the guy wouldn't be interested, you know, that it's so unused to seeing people of the same age play opposite each other that they all thought she was older than him. Harmony's baseball bat carries the inscription Wonder Girl, which is an homage to Robert Redford's bat in The Natural, which is called Wonder Boy. There we go. Knew that because we've watched The Natural. I noticed that it had Wonder Girl carved into it. I did not catch the reference because I, but... Uh, in one scene, Harry Lockhart is prompted to read lines from a script sample. The first line he reads ends with the phrase, go spit, which is also a catchphrase of Danny Glover's character in Lethal Weapon movies. <laughs> Are they trying to say that he was auditioning for a Lethal Weapon movie? <laughs> that would have been hilarious and very like, like meta in their world. That that was what yeah. he was going after was a new Lethal Weapon or a Lethal Weapon like ripoff. Mm -hmm. I think that's great. what I wanted more of. I wanted more meta references, like lean into them. Mm -hmm. I feel like he tried to like find some weird balance. It was like, nah, dude, go whole hog. Like we're mm -hmm. already on board for this L.A. Noir thing. So just go for it and make it a total meta disaster where mm -hmm. it's hilarious. Yeah, that would have been great. The character name Gay Perry is a play on Gay Perry, a nickname for Paris France. What? what? Yeah, that, that was that was pretty obvious. <laughs> Yeah, you know, if you're paying attention, you may not think about it, but it's definitely there. <laughs> there is a foreshadowing with Gabe Perry's throughout the movie as his cell phone plays I Will Survive by Gloria Gaynor as his ringtone, <laughs> indicating his fate at the end of the movie. <laughs> that one's pretty good. Like, that one's cheap, but I like it. Yeah. I, I, can, I can live with that one. I feel like Shane Black is the master of the... I'm going to do a cheap joke, but I'm going to do it gonna, so I'm gonna artfully make it that you can't off. ignore it. Yeah, he did that. <laughs> he, he did a fabulous one in The Last Action Hero that we're very proud of. There's a clue to the murder plot in a shot of a defective hotel no vacancy sign. The sign flashes no vac or 
VAC. In the Hitchcock film Vertigo, Kim Novak plays a woman who doubles for a murder victim. <laughs> Novak. Novak. <laughs> Uh, and that's the end of our trivia trivia we've finished so we now now we've got to rate this movie but we have to come up with a rating system every time we talk about a movie we come up with an individual rating on a scale of one to five so what should our scale be severed fingers oh so severed fingers is pretty good <laughs> i mean sexy living reindeer sexy living reindeer <laughs> i do love a christmas theme <laughs> Yes, this goes on that list of movies that you could play as Christmas movies that are, you know, with like... Christmas film. Yeah, because I mean, everybody knows Die Hard, but one of my favorite is Eyes Wide Shut is a Christmas movie. Absolutely. I 100% And agree. this definitely could go on that list. It could. <laughs> this, is, this just goes on your playlist of, I need something other than stupid Christmas tales. Give me something else to watch. Well, here you go. Hey, you want something that takes place at Christmas but isn't about Christmas? Here you go. Sexy Dancing Reindeer. How many sexy dancing reindeers are we going to give this? I'll go first. I'm going to go three. Okay. I think it is a bit of a hot mess. It has aged pretty poorly. Mm -hmm. But between the performances and the snappy dialogue, Mm -hmm. there's enough to keep you engaged where this isn't a movie that I would like want to return to ever and ever again. Mm -hmm. But it's we've talked about those movies that it's like if it ever just happened to show up and I had nothing else, I'll be like, oh, watch it. Yeah, I'm really torn. I think I'm probably about a, a three as well because the parts of the mo- this movie that work really work, but it is very uneven overall. It's not something I'm going to be... Like, I haven't watched it in years. I watched it again, obviously, to record this with you guys. And I did enjoy the same parts that I still enjoyed, but I was more frustrated by the parts I didn't like than I was when mm-hmm. I first saw it. I can't Fair. imagine. Fair. So, I I mean, it's not anything I'm going to rewatch regularly, but I do think the two leading performances are so good, and there is some really fun stuff in it that it, it squeaks it over the, the edge into something I liked a bit you know it's not it's not just completely neutral for me uh so i have to go with a three then <sighs> y'all have made really good points i'm feeling i feel really 2.5 about this okay well then you know go I, with your gut I, yeah i, I feel <laughs> 2.5 about this like i i really like robert downey jr and val kilmer they're they are solidly getting a whole point each for this but i just i just yeah I just I think the things that I feel icky about, I just feel really icky about. So it's a two and a half yeah. because I don't think here's here's the kicker. If it was on TV, if I was scrolling and it was on TV, I probably wouldn't stop for more than five minutes. Well, that's it. That's that's it for Kiss Kiss Bing Bang. Lindsay, thank you so much for coming and talking to us about this. Thank you for having me. You guys are some of my best pod friends that I love doing shows with you. So, oh, And we love potting with you. If people want more Lindsay, where can they find more Lindsay? Well, I co-host a show called Historical Hotties, where we go through different categories of historical figure and try and figure out which one is the biggest babe. And if, you know, you want to hear more of uh, one of the hosts of this show, <laughs> you can check out the Texans episode. <laughs> uh, we still we still haven't had both uh, hosts of this show on yet but gotta find the right category <laughs> gotta find the right category uh, we still have to get you on someday because yes. you know we want the complete set we want both Macintosh and Mod. <laughs> I, I appreciate that I do <laughs> we just did an episode on drummers and we're uh, gonna have an episode on swimmers coming out soon you know it felt summer appropriate so we are at Historically Hot on all social media or Historical Hotties on 
any place you get your podcasts. And if you want to check out me personally, my Twitter is Lindsay Nelson, N-E-L-S-E-N, but it is mostly gelato. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're interested in gelato, you should look it's it up. Very, you should do it. It's very it's worth evil. It. It's very evil <laughs> in that it looks delicious and I want all of it. Mm-hmm. And I can't have it because yep. I'm in Texas, which is not where your gelato yep. is. No. <laughs> it is not. I just tempt people all over the place with my temp- gelato temp- that they can get to. it's the best all right well until next time bye everybody thanks for listening be sure to review and rate us on itunes stitcher or wherever you listen to your podcast for questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. So, which one are we going with? I like severed reindeers. Severed reindeers? Is that what that's it, not. What, that's <laughs> you're mashing you them up. Sorry, sorry, my brain, my my brain did a mashup.